and today I'm joined by Haiku Thursday Evangelist at Fluid Hips of Twitter. Welcome. Hello, hello. Uh, thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure. Uh, I'm very excited for uh, for the for the things you've got lined up here, and uh, I'm 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 glad uh, glad specifically to be speaking uh, with you. Always always uh, always a fun time. Yes, I'm happy to be speaking with you. Also, it's almost exactly one year since our last conversation, which is my goodness. I know exactly, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> A lot has happened. Things um, things have changed and things have stayed the same also, I think, in this past year. And, um, you know, to recap, I think that um, what we were doing at that time was we were sort of sensing how things were going to go moving forward, you know, coming out of 2020 and the the insanity that was 2020 in many ways. And um, I think to be two years removed from that now, feels very different to have been sort of I think eight months removed from it during our last conversation do you know what I mean there's a different vibe now what do you think yeah I mean you know um time time uh, feels different in different ways and the uh, in, in I'm sorry in, in different circumstances and I completely agree with you I mean the way it feels now um versus a year ago is um um, is 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 all is is all it's all very different. Uh, though I would say that the craziness, at least in the United States, has managed to continue, and uh, maybe some of the uh, the crazy seeds that were planted during uh, in, in 2020 are now kind of um, kind of coming coming to bear fruit. It's it's it is a very very interesting time um, in the world. Um, and so yeah, uh, I I I, uh, I couldn't agree more with you and. And let's uh, let's pray for the best. Um, you know, good things can happen out of these sort of things, and bad things can happen. And my goodness, uh, let's hope it's, it's it's more of the good. Yes, amen to that. And I agree with you that it is an interesting time in the world. But if I'm going to be honest, I felt more hopeful last year than I do now, and I don't have a pessimist streak in me. But there's just something in the air. You know, I haven't really expressed this prior to this moment, but it's something that I think I've been carrying with me. But at the same time, the good news is that, I mean, this platform is still going, the Violet Rays, your platform is still going, which is hashtag Haiku Thursday. So we're still here. <laughs> how, how is that? How is that going? How do you feel about it now? Well, I feel I feel like, you know, the Haiku Thursday um, hashtag is is kind of, uh, you know, recession, uh, recession proof. You know what I'm saying? So whatever, <laughs> what, whatever the economic condition um, insofar as I can uh, afford the Internet connection and a way to access the Internet, uh, I think Haiku um, Thursday is, is, is going to be fairly resilient, uh, which is an, which is an interesting thing. I'm glad the. I'm glad the violet rays are still going though. What a beautiful, uh, what, a, what a beautiful idea. What a beautiful execution um, on your part and been going on, I think a bit longer than I had um, or originally um, realized. So yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I think it's, it, I think Haiku Thursday has been serving the purpose I thought it would. And, and that is to encourage folks to write haiku and express themselves uh, through, through, through poetry in general. Um, we've now had haiku written in French, German, Portuguese, and Portuguese is not just um, folks from Brazil, but actual Portugal, um, and then Spanish, Italian, Japanese, Bahasa, and get this, 
even English. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall an Arabic one. Um, I'm I, I'm fascinated and entranced by those squiggles. Uh, so that would be that, that would that would be beautiful. Uh, I, I would really enjoy that. Um, let's be clear. Direct. It would go directly from your screen to a Google Translate screen. Uh, but um, but I, I I would enjoy it and I would enjoy the conversation um, that I that I have about it. Whenever there's a haiku that's published in a language uh, that's not one I'm familiar with, um, I I'm so I, I I have like I I sometimes I try to engage them in Google Translate, but I stop doing that because I just I think I might be insulting someone or something like that, just like unintentionally. So like I'll I'll just type in my response in Google Translate and I'll get some translation, but then I realize. I I've I've had the opposite happen to me, you know, um, where someone has used like from their native language, they've used Google Translate. And I was like, you know, that's an interesting way to phrase that. And I'm like, am I being insulted? What's going on here? And I, I usually um, you I am I, I uh, maybe not so obvious to to maybe some of the listeners, but I, I always go in with the assumption that I'm not being in, insulted uh, until someone uh, makes it uh, explicit. Um, so. So, you know, but not everybody necessarily has those same, you know, ideas and experiences coming in. Um, so uh, uh, that's all to say that if you write in Arabic, I know I can engage you in English and ask uh, some questions about it. So that would be uh, that would be a uh, that, that, that could be amazing. I'd, I'd love to see that. Um, and, and you are I mean, there's 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 many folks who, who contribute often. And uh, for that, I'm 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 grateful. And you're definitely one of them. And uh, I really I look forward to your haiku. They're beautiful already. Um, just, you know, just thought that might be an interesting um, other dimension. Uh, I, I'll also say that I'm I'm super pumped to have seen a bunch of new Twitter handles pop up on the hashtag. And if that's usually a byproduct, I think of not anything that I do, but it's more of like it's, it's more a byproduct of like, you know, like your retweets and other people retweeting. Do I think that the hashtag, you know, will ever mobilize to overthrow a government or, um, you know, boycott plastics um, or anything like that? Uh, I mean, stay tuned. Poetry is political, you know, so, I mean, oh, art, art is political. And I, I really do think that we can inspire and we we can perhaps not overthrow but we can inspire a movement and and I think we have in the past artists as, as in you know in 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 humanity not necessarily you and me but who knows who knows what we've inspired but I imagine that there have been lots of great artists who have inspired a movement and um, I believe revolution is a process who knows who knows well I mean people on Twitter have told me that I have inspired um, some of their movements but they're more of the bowel variety, to be honest wow. with you. So, so, you know, uh, and that's okay. That's okay. I like that feedback too. So I, I, I don't, I, I don't mind. I don't mind. It's good to know when you, when you, um, you know, when you don't, when you don't hit their personal brief. Uh, also, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, yeah. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. These, you, you never know which, which flap of the butterfly's wings uh, can, can, uh, can create storms. Uh, so exactly. very interesting stuff. Since we're on Haiku Thursday now, how would you feel about doing the shout outs now? I don't mind. I love I love it when you mix things up. Um, so the shout out list is 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 a little bit longer. I, I hope you don't mind 
and you can you can edit or speed it up or whatever you want to do because I, I, I really appreciate you doing this but um hold on hold on to yourself uh strap in here we go this is a haiku thursday shout out list numero uno at julius uh orlovsky it's j-u-l-i-u-s-o-r-l-o-v-s-k-y she is a serious published poet, and for whatever reason, she's been this unfailing um, Haiku Thursday contributor. Putting the hashtag aside, she's super consistent, uh, but she also just like manages to be very fresh and uh, dynamic. I love her stuff. You will too. Give her a look. Give her a follow. Um, Dwinde uh, F is spelled at D-U-E-N-D-E-E-N-F. Uh, another dynamic poet. Um, and, and also a fellow science lover. Um, you, you can put aside his marvelous poetry. The guy just has a ton of really cool and diverse interests. So giving him a follow will expose you to some very well thought out, interesting ideas. Uh, definitely check him out. At Sarah the Poetess, um, which uh, I, it's, a, it's a lady you know uh, also, and you've supported at uh, uh, S-A-R-A-H, T-H-E-P-O-E-T-E-S-S, -S, which I shouldn't have spelled out, but whatever, I did it anyway. She has a published book of poetry, too. Um, I love, personally, how honest and open she is about her feelings and her struggles. So give her a look. And if you like uh, what you see there, you know, get a quality book of uh, poetry on your shelf, too. Why not? Um, at Hungry Ghost Poet is a miracle worker. So her poetry and prose is like this experience where you're wrapped up in these bursts of emotions and feelings. Um, it's like one of the few times where I kind of like read something and I'm not really reading the words, if that makes sense. I'm, I'm not really reading the words. It, it's like I, I, I'm in the middle of her experience. So like her brain is bathed in all of these lovely like hormones and feelings and thoughts. And then your eyeballs are like the drain pipe from her skull. And uh, it's it's that good. So anyway, she's published and everything too. Um, definitely worth a follow. Um, at Moscow Dandelion, uh, and I'm not going to spell the ones that are obvious. Um, she's another super gifted poet. She finds some incredible ideas in conspicuous places, and and that's super impressive. Uh, that's that's it's 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 a it's a knockout, infuriating talent that I just can't get enough of. Uh, also, she eats flowers, so maybe give her a flower uh, a follow. At Unicycle Steve, you know this guy. Uh, he's a super prolific poet who has far and away, far and away, contributed the most poems to Haiku Thursday. I believe he's the founder, or at least he's a, a, a champion of the talking in haiku form of haiku. Very creative guy. And as a side note, I've had the pleasure of exchanging some DMs with him. He's such a nice dude. He's definitely worth a follow. Um, at Desert Garden Amy is a lovely lady who captures some incredible moments from her home in uh, the Sonoran Desert. The, mo the moments she finds are just worth a read. Throw on some sunscreen. Give her a follow. Uh, at Unemployed Games uh, is a guy I've known for uh, for years now. He's a, he's a guy who writes haiku and uh, acrostic poems also. He, he pu puts them out there like clockwork. Now, I don't want to I don't know if this is the actual case, but I think he's written one every day for like years. Um, so he's got he's got a bit of O. Henry in him. So if you like plot twists that only take a few minutes to get to, definitely give him a follow. Give him a follow anyway. At 
Um, a Donlin 71. So A D O N L O N 71 is a passionate and expressive haiku Thursday contributor. I love her efforts. I think you'll find something to enjoy there. Definitely give her a follow. Um, my, my penultimate recommendation is for the OG, the man who started Haiku Thursday at Nick X Bush. I'm going to bring him up a little bit later in today's interview. His poetry gets a little bit political, but I admire that he follows his passions. Pour one out for the ancestors. Take a sip. Give that man a follow. Uh, my final one uh, is, is for at three or rights who is the only person um, in the shoutouts who is not a haiku poet. She's a poet, but not, not a haiku poet, at least that I know about. And she absolutely does not find me funny, not even a little bit, but she wrote this incredible book of poetry called The Wild Fox of Yemen, which won the Walt Whitman Award. Go pick up that book and give her a follow. It's, it's serious poetry. It's beautiful stuff. It's innovative stuff. Um, she, and she's super cool about sharing her process and her footnotes. So you just can't lose. And uh, if you follow her, tell her that that super hilarious guy, Fluid Hips, uh, sent you. And um, a shout out, which is a little bit awkward in the current context. Reshma, I wanted to give you a plug just very quickly. Now, the last time... Uh, I, I started getting revved up. You couldn't take it. Um, and so just please let me say my bit. And, 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 and for various reasons, as you know, we are acquainted um, by some of my colleagues and your listeners just need to know about, you know, your, your many dimensions. And they just need to know how impressed my colleagues were, my finance colleagues were with your grasp of the issues, your incisive questions, um, and your creative approaches to the problems uh, you face. They just like, expected some kind of like pretty face with her head in the clouds and maybe some paintings to sell. And they walked away with this, with this belief that this lady um, you know, could really build an empire. So hats off to you. It's a shout out on your own podcast, but it needs to be done Thank you so much um, for that for, for that opportunity, um, and that's that's my shout out list. I, I hope it wasn't too long. I really appreciate that that um, that, that those words there that you said for me. Um, I <laughs> while you were reading the shout outs, because you may or may not know in the UK it's like thirty two degrees today, and you know, it's it's just so warm. And in order to not get any night noise pollution, I've I've of course got all the windows closed. Oh <laughs> my goodness. I, I know, right? And I, I can't have the fan on because it will impact the mic for the oh, recording. No. So I'm I am literally sitting in a sauna. So while while you were doing that, I muted and put the fan on. And um I was away from the computer. So so on the other side of the room. So it's quite funny. I couldn't sort of get back in time to interrupt you like I did last time. And then by the <laughs> So, so that was that was nice, and I'm glad that um, that you finished because I never knew what you were going to say last year. So, I'm I'm touched, and um, I really appreciate that. Thank you. But moving swiftly on, you said that you were going to to mention um, someone else who was what we think is the original founder of, or I think simultaneous founder of the hashtag Haiku Thursday. Well, no, I, I so I, I want to be 100 percent clear. I 
at Nick X Bush was the OG. He, I think, I think he predates my involvement in Haiku Thursday by like a year or something like that. I mean, like, so, so I, I, I've, I've been a cheerleader. I've been an amplifier. I, I accept that, but uh, Nick, Nick, um, Nick, Nick uh, had had the idea. He had he had the idea, and uh, he he brought it out, and he's done some he's done some amazing work with it. So so bless him at Nick X. And I think he was a part of my shout out list last time. Also, I just I can't not shout the shout the guy out. You know, my raison d'être for the for the Haiku Thursday uh, situation. I remember. So last time he was at that time he was called Chocolate Charles or something. <laughs> yeah, he was called Chocolate Charles Dickens. Um, <laughs> Um, and, and I never really got into that with him because, you know, you know, he's got, he's, he's got a, he's got a brand. He's got a thing. I just, I, I like this. I like some of the mystery. I think he's since changed how he describes himself. Oh yeah. Um, now he's Claude McKay burner account. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got, you, you got to love po- poets, right? You got to yeah. love these, 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 these lovely, uh, I don't know these these whimsical these these changes these these creative spurts you know I can't tell the haiku Thursday story without without mentioning him and, and I and I don't want to appear especially to him that I'm that I'm um you know uh that that I'm stealing his glory and I don't think he's like that at all but you never know I mean I don't want any sort of resentment to build up I have no ego about this I I, I have no claims uh, I just want to make sure that you know he he understands if he even knows about this or will listen to this, but I'll, I'll, I'll definitely mention it to him and, and promote it to him. I, I just want to make sure that he understands that, you know, this is his baby and um, I'm just, you know, part of the village taking care of it. That's all. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, and, and I think, um, I think he feels that way. It seems I've, I've seen the banter between the two of you once in a while and uh, he always supports the haiku I put out. I support his, you know, obviously you two, keep it going there's a there's a great energy and he is quite unpredictable and I, I like his humor he he does some very interesting haiku so yeah thank you and um and yours of course is is quite often science-based not always but very often I think recently there's been a lot of uh interesting stuff coming up was it is it the is it the James Webb telescope yes that's that? right the JWST James Webb Space Telescope, um, which is which is just doing some incredible work. I I was watching um, I was watching some documentary where they were talking about why we don't have a uh, like a like a deep space telescope. Why don't we have that yet? And it was it was dated from like you know like a decade ago or something like that. And um, and that, and, and when I saw this, it was just quick. It was like a one line throwaway thing. And it was just like a few days after, like, you know, the, the James Webb space telescope was unfurling. And I was just like, Oh my God, we did it. You know, we totally did it. When I say we, I mean like humanity again, as I say, stated in the last podcast, I am definitely not any sort of um, member of the scientific community in any meaningful way. I just love it. I just love the stuff. It, it's the stuff dreams are, are made of, but I'm not um, gifted or talented enough to have ever been, you know, to ever be accepted into, you know, this hypothetical Starfleet Academy or anything like, you know, that, that wouldn't, that, that probably wouldn't be me, but I, but it's so, it, it's so fantastic and, um, and interesting. And I, 
I, uh, I, I've been enthused in following those developments um, for, for a long time now. Uh, so yeah, the James Webb Space Telescope has been giving us some, you know, borderline miraculous insights into the very early stages of the, uh, of the universe, um, seeing things that we have just never seen before and uh, we're, in, in, we're not capable of seeing before. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I've, uh, I, it's, it's early days and there's some, there's some, you know, slightly, um, concerning things that are happening, but it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful, uh, situation. And I, I strongly recommend people go and, and, and check it out, um, and, and give it, give it a look. So yeah, that's been, uh, that's been the James Webb Space Telescope. It's been taking up a lot of bandwidth for my personal haiku more more as a more as a, a thing to make sure people are, are are hearing about it and learning about it and but also uh because that's that's where my uh personal fixation comes from that's where my my personal uh, passion comes from well yes that's it i think we went on a half an hour long detour last year into science which i didn't expect <laughs> and it was it was beautiful i learned so much and with also with each haiku you put out when you 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 do like you were talking about um, someone else a little while ago in, in our community who puts great footnotes out. I think that um, you, you've got, you definitely win the award for that, that you, always, you almost always have an article. You, you quite often dissect your own haiku, which is very helpful for people just starting out who don't know how, how haiku works. And so when you put it all together, okay, this is the inspiration. This is where I fact-checked. This is how it works poetically. This is the science. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a whole seminar, just, just reading your tweet every Thursday. So, so thank you for that. And um, yeah, I am getting quite interested also in, in space observation, which I, I wasn't prior to knowing you. So, so that's good. And also, so I want to talk a little bit about money in regards to the money we're spending on stuff that's outside of this planet and the sort of doomsday rhetoric that we have going on within the planet and how that sort of in a sense how that balances in your head because uh, for me I, I'm in quite a sort of like an inner turmoil about what's going on the state of the planet what conversations we're having politically and and then all of a sudden you know we're talking about Mars and we're talking about you know black holes <laughs> it's like it's too much sometimes for me but I mean oh, wow. you seem to have it all quite under control so I wondered if in a in a sort of a calmer maybe reassuring manner for me you could explain how how this all works out in your brain but from the perspective specifically of money and let's also just so you know where I'm heading I want to move towards talking about Elon Musk and Twitter so let's kind of do that in a sort of let's say 10 minute type conversation what do you think okay yeah sure uh so so just just help me um help help me kind of uh, fo focus myself a little bit so you want you just want me to comment on 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 what you want me to comment on on Elon Musk and 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 his Twitter acquisition is that what you're you're talking about yes but from the perspective of in a sense of also of money and how and, and power. I know that it seems really broad, but I, I know if anyone can do it, you can. Fair enough. Look, I'm here for it. This is your show. I'm so I'm so happy to to, to be guided uh, by 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 your amazing instincts. So I'll, I'll tell you what I understand, which by the way is very limited. Um, it's not it's not an area of my my, my specialty. I don't follow Tesla um, uh, professionally, 
Um, and, and there are people who do that kind of thing, um, you know, they because they're because they're stock analysts or, or whatever, especially, you know, large institutions will have people follow specific large companies. But let's talk about Tesla. Um, let's talk about um, asset, uh, you know, the stock prices in general. And let's talk about um, and I'll speculate on the Twitter acquisition. So so let's let's talk about maybe the economic context of what's going on right now. You have inflation and inflation just means that um, the cost of goods is the price of goods is going up um, in in general. Um, and I don't want to get into too much detail about that, but you, I think people understand that a good um, which value which which has a value that has stayed relatively the same, its price has gone up. Now, when someone evaluates any stock, like any any stock in the stock market, again, this is not my area, but this is this is just kind of general stuff in finance. If you evaluate a stock, um, a lot of people will do something called fundamental analysis, where where they'll um, evaluate, you know, the uh, the the uh, fundamental characteristics of a company. One of those fundamental characteristics of a company are its assets and liabilities. Okay, so the assets of a company are are kind of like you know the stuff you see in the grocery store. It's like stuff that the company has, and insofar as the, as as stuff in the world has a price that's increasing, so too do the value of the assets increase, right? Um, that so so in other words, the inflation that you see um, in in the real world is also inflating the value of the assets, creating the impression that the value, uh, uh, the price uh, and the value of those companies, the inherent uh, fundamentals have also improved. But in real terms, they, they haven't. doesn't matter. Anyway, this, that's what people think. Now, also because of inflation, people want to, um, they, they, they want to have as little cash as possible because $1 buys you less and less. So what you need to do is you need to get out of holding hard currency and get into holding something that appreciates um, hopefully at, at, at least at the same rate as the dollar. So on top of you know stock prices going up, not necessarily as a reflection of the the you know increased the, the better uh, improved fundamentals of those companies, you have people trying to find places for their money to go um, due to this inflation. Um, in, in, in currencies. And a lot of times that ends up in the stock market. Okay. So um, Elon sees that his company's price is for the majority of people not connected to its value, right? Or in my opinion, and in the opinion of a lot of others, it's not actually, it's not connected to its value. Now I want to, I do want to say that there are rational reasons to make a bet on Tesla um, or something like that, because people don't necessarily view Tesla as a car company, they view it as, you know, an electric energy, you know, distributor provider, like there's like a bigger strategy there. But okay, but even putting that aside, even putting that aside, Elon thinks, or may think that, um, you know, his the money, you know, the value of his of his um, uh, uh, of that stock doesn't actually doesn't actually correspond to any change in, in, in its fundamentals. And his problem is, is that he can't get out of tesla stock without decreasing its price because if the founder if the guy who owns the majority of it um can't get out of that that price 
uh, can't, I'm sorry, can't get out of it, then uh, I'm sorry. if he doesn't show confidence in it, then the price will go down. Right. So he's hurting it. So what he needs to do, and this is now just speculation. This is my view of what he's doing. Um, and I'm sure it's not just my view. It's is that he is um, the the Twitter acquisition was his way of shifting his his assets in in Tesla and giving him an excuse to place them in another venture for him to diversify or maybe he has some sort of strategic interest. Um, and, 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 and by strategic interest, I think there's nothing wrong with having not nothing wrong, but I think there's a good reason to have your own mouthpiece, um, which Twitter would have been. So um, so Musk goes into Twitter and, um, you know, he, he now has a very nice excuse that is lauded by a lot of his fanboys and stuff like that to, to get into Twitter. And um, but then over time, uh, so he signs, he, he puts his name on the dotted line with what appears to be very little due diligence, um, even though maybe there would have been a, like a strategic reason to do so that I that I have, I've now discussed. And and then, you know, and then the strategic reasons, um, you know, they they start to make less and less sense as the dynamics of the economy shift. Right. So, you know, interest prices go up. We're trying to track. We're trying to um, we're, 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 interest goes up. We're trying to tackle inflation. Um, the value of Twitter, um, I think. Think uh, I forget was it was double some double, it plummeted like double digits, um, you know, and so there were so so maybe maybe he's starting he's starting to see that you know the strategic realities you know didn't didn't align themselves, um, and uh, and you know that's that's my view of of why he got in and is trying to get out. That's I, I, for me. I don't know if I I, I I'm so. Um, I'm not so so wedded to, you know, the I'm sure there's some sort of megalomaniac type, you know, ambitions and and but I think those might be incidental to some sort of larger uh, strategy. I don't know Elon Musk, man. I don't I don't know what what he really wants to do. He's not in my area, you know, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm I mean, I'm more enthusiastic about like the future where we have solid state batteries and um, you know, and, and that kind of, that kind of thing, but that's not, that's, you know, the, this idea that, I mean, I do think that like, like this, uh, I do think that wealth inequality is like a really big deal. I think it's, it's, it's kind of built into the system. I think that's something to worry about. I do think that's something that we need to address, but, um, I see this as, I mean, that's a byproduct of a bigger, bigger picture, but I don't see these two things as direct as directly related. I don't, I, I don't see a, like a direct line between megalomaniac type ambitions and, and what happened here. I can see, I can see a financial picture, a financial reason um, uh, that, that makes these other things kind of incidental. Um, and may, even though they, I think make for juicier talking points um, because who wants to, who wants to deal with the mess I just talked about when you can just say, yeah, he's a, he's a jerk and this is what he wants to do. Not to say that he's not, Right. Not to say right. that he's not a jerk uh, or that he's not, you know, that there are some things about. But anyway, that's I don't know him. So maybe maybe he's a great guy. OK, I'm so glad you said um, all of that. All of that was great. And I said I'd interrupt you every minute, but I didn't dare because that was brilliant. Thank you. Everything you say is brilliant. It's not that I just wish I didn't have this whole thing about keeping podcast episodes down to an hour. It's just that, you know, a lot of people can't 
manage to listen for more than sometimes half an hour but it just depends on the topic but I try with you I say an hour I know it was an hour and a half last year but um you have so much insight that I don't I hate in fact I don't want to cut you off I hate cutting you off um but anyway thank you for that I it's I've got about three spin-offs so the first one is um the idea of, of um, freedom of speech. That was the hot topic when they were still in talks uh, for his acquisition. So a lot of people on Twitter was, were, were talking about freedom of speech. Do you have anything you want to say on that? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, so what you, uh, the context of freedom of speech, I, I can give you some of my general thoughts. The context of freedom of speech um, was, 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 was with centralization, right? Was that, that was the, you know, that was the, that yes. was kind of like the the tie-in. Is that is that right, or do you want Correct. me to talk about free? Perfect. Okay, okay. Yes, yeah. So yeah, so yeah. I mean, look, um, I think that there's some implication that centralization somehow limits free, freedom of speech, and the truth is that I, I think that's true. I think, but but I'm also kind of fine with some of those limits, right? Like, I think my basic idea is that you should be able to say what you want to say generally, so long as it doesn't cause some imminent harm to society. And, and like, you know, in, in the United States, um, you know, the, the common example from our judicial um, process and system is like, it's like yelling fire in a movie theater when there's no fire because it causes a stampede and a bunch of people get hurt, right? Um, so um, if, if you had a distributed, non-centralized social network that is optimized purely for freedom, meaning that it's it's also truly anonymous, then I think your newsfeed also gets plugged full of like kind of like exploitative pornography um, and that kind of thing. And also, I think there are types of speech that should have standards like news. So yeah, you can say whatever you want, but to apply the label of news, it should be grounded in some facts. And if it's news analysis, that new, that analysis must at least start from some facts. And I want to be um, clear here that facts are provable realities, right? Um, and that's just, it's, it's not my idea either. There was something in, in the US, um, it was called the, the Fairness Doctrine in the 1950s, um, and it was later removed in the late uh, late 80s. And, and now you look at the mess that we're dealing with. I mean, how do you have a conversation when people can't even agree on the reality that you're working with? And I can see, I mean, I can see a benefit to the main stakeholders, main, mainly people with money who, um, who, who want to, who want to use that money to wield power. And in um, democratic countries, that's that's wielding the power of the masses. If if your mob doesn't even agree on a set of facts with someone else's mob, um, then the likelihood that they go to someone else's mob is necessarily lower. But on the other hand, you know, civil war. So, I mean, in the United States, I mean, you know, the rhetoric is heating up. I don't think that's well and truly out of the question. There are some big names that um, have have advanced it, though, you know, some of their footnotes aren't the greatest, uh, most notably Ray Dalio, who uh, I read his book um, fairly recently. And he makes he makes an interesting case that, you know, and he he pegs the probability of, of this sort of thing happening. It's something like, you know, 30 or 10 percent. Uh, 10 to 30 percent, something like that, I think, in the next 10 years um, in the United States. I, 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 I'm not saying I agree with that, but I'm just saying there are there are serious people um, who whose livelihoods um, 
are, are built on making those kinds of bets. Um, in the U.S., um, we also had this disastrous Citizens United ruling that overturned basically like a century of law. And I, I think this is also an important part of the context. And basically, so, so it's not just about freedom of speech. It's like what you consider speech. Um, and, and that Citizens United ruling says basically that corporations are people and that you can't cap um, campaign contributions because campaign contributions are a type of speech um, that people should have. And that's developed on, on free speech, um, on centralized free speech that bothers me. So, I mean, you like, this, this is the, and this is also kind of the reason I left the law. It's, I like, I like an equal intellectual battlefield where the ideas get in there and they beat the hell out of each other. And then people think hard about things. And in the end, you come up with some reason compromise that can shift over time. Now it's like, who's holding the biggest bag to sell their ideas to the largest number of, you know, you know, uneducated people, you know what I'm saying? Um, and and I, I mean, that's 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 undermining um, how a democracy should function, uh, in, in my in my opinion. So I don't know if 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 that's that's too many dis disparate um, ideas, uh, but I think it kind of I think it captures by and large like how I I, I view that issue. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know if I don't know if there's any. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So that's that. I yeah. guess those are my thoughts on it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. There's there's so much there to think about. And um, that's all I wanted, just your take on it. And I think that that will help a lot of people wade through some of the, their own issues around it. Uh, it has for me. And then also I wanted to talk about assets because you and you mentioned that at the top of your initial response regarding Elon Musk and the economy. And um, I think that the way that assets are looked at now, um, I think, is is more is more tangible for a lot of people who didn't have much financial education a few years ago, because of course of the the NFT market and um, crypto in general. I think a lot of people are paying a bit you know a bit more attention to definitely to to economics as a whole, but but very interestingly the smaller communities and, and microeconomics, as I said, and how we manage our own assets and. Having that, that power is very important to artists, especially to everybody, but to artists, um, uh, which is my focus, and, um, and marginalized people. So I, I quite often feel that, that sometimes this idea of, you know, the, the throwing away the baby with the bathwater happens so often whenever we've got an opportunity to do something truly innovative um, for the, the, the generally disenfranchised. Um, we are so easily swayed away from doing that by the larger media streams, the mainstream media, I hate that term. But you know, so I think that um, we quite often fall for those tricks. So one of them for me right now is definitely how the, the, um, the conversation around NFTs are going and um, I think that if people were to look at the, the the naysayers in particular to look at what has come from the the birth of um, of the blockchain and the birth of crypto and to, and then how we uh, invented NFTs and how we're now looking at ways of making it more um, friendly to the universe, it takes time to grow 
and invent and find ways that we can you know, do something really special and meaningful. And a lot of people who just don't have a clue how it works, listen to the headlines and they just poo poo it without realizing the power that we actually have at our fingertips right now to invent and reinvent. And it's a process. Of course, it's not a great idea right now in its current form, but neither is capitalism as far as I'm concerned. So, I mean, what are we doing? The people, a lot of the people who are talking about revolution, don't seem to understand how important cryptocurrency is. And by the way, I don't own any cryptocurrency and I've never minted an NFT, but I'm still very involved in the conversation. What do you think about that? So, yeah, uh, I mean, thank you for those um, for those thoughts and and prefacing this discussion. I think uh, there's I'm going to definitely going to touch on what I feel is like the underlying issues. behind this you know boom in nfts and cryptocurrencies and so that's why that's that's why i think maybe i'll i'll start with some comments on on centralization because i i believe that to be the kind of fundamental um issue here i i want to be clear that i don't think like decentralization is necessarily superior i i haven't come to like a um like a firm conclusion i haven't thought on it uh, a great deal um but it's also not clear to me that like decentralization is actually decentralized. We can get into that if you want, but you know, the current system right now, right. It allows for enduring institutions, which are quasi governmental that have a reputational stake um, to ensure that a currency works as it should. And validation is, is a part of that, but I'll tell you that, that where, this crack is opening up. It's this thing that you talk about is that people and specifically millennials are starting to lose trust in their governments and, and such a, a, an erosion of trust um, could create an opening um, for any number of crypto uh, and, and blockchain um, type type products. Now, I mean, I think there's probably an NFT bubble and I'm not, not super following it where, um, and just to maybe put out some depth, definitions a bubble in economic terms is like where you have a price of an asset that is driven driven up by market excitement and the price kind of becomes untethered from fundamental features that determine the price i i can't comment a great deal on nfts because i don't is it's not my area and i don't really understand the fundamental features that influence the price of nfts and i think that that's 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 an area of um a great deal of, of research but i I can understand, and I have already kind of spoken on, on this, uh, of the forces that I think are involved. Um, a bubble doesn't mean that NFTs aren't a valuable asset. It's just that their price didn't reflect the value for me, right? And what drove that? Well, I've already talked about it. You know, you've got inflation in the U.S. dollar um, right now. Chinese banks are looking down, looking at like writing down a fifth of their assets because uh, their real estate market is a is a disaster, um, and and people are are kind of looking for places to put their money, and sometimes that can lead to irrational behavior. So that's not a value issue, right? That's a price issue. That's a price issue, and um, you know, and often, you know, you know, sometimes the, the the difference between price and value is a strategic thing where. Your, your position in a market means that paying someone something other than the market price makes sense. And I can, I can give you an example, but, but sometimes it's because your circumstances are similar to the market and you're acting rationally and the market isn't. 
anyway, like I said, my understanding of the, the fundamentals of NFTs is really poor. And, and even the research I put into it is insufficient for me to comment on, on it a great deal. But I'll say I, I, I still think that there are great use cases um, for NFTs. And I think that, the, that they can create um, incredible, uh, incredibly powerful markets on their own um, that are that are divorced from um, you know some some current markets. This means like I mean, in a completely different context. I don't think that I, I don't think that you have to throw out the um, centralized banking idea at, you know out with the baby uh, the the and 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 some of the lessons of centralization out with it. Um, markets are necessarily centralized, and they play an incredibly they, they are an incredibly powerful tool in understanding. Um, in understanding things and without markets and without rules around those markets, you know, people can get exploited badly. Um, and I think you've seen that in, in the crypto world and in the NFT world and some of the downsides of, of, of decentralization um, are, you know, are, 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 are there, but, but I'm not saying that, that, that doesn't mean that you should, you should abandon um, NFTs. Uh, and I do think what NFTs and crypto have proven is that access access is 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 the is the fundamental you know it, it's it's the barrier that's that's been um, that that led to the emergence of these things and I think that maybe this is going to be one of the enduring legacies of, of of the crypto and NFT movement that you know folks who are um, who are unbanked or folks who don't have um, access to to uh, any number of financial tools, uh, or who feel left behind uh, by the financial system, though those people are going to um, be the spark for change in these institutions, which right now, um, you know, are can can engage in implicitly and sometimes explicitly predatory behavior. So, I mean, I. I I like the trend. I'm not, and like you said, I, I don't even I don't know if the execution or uh, it is 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 right. But I I think NFTs are a brilliant idea, and I think that they can they can they can do a lot for the um, the art community um, while you know maybe also allowing for some progress in money laundering. You know, I mean that's 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 how things grow. There's there's two sides. Um, and many, and oftentimes many more sides um, to to those coins. So I think that's the that's a fair kind of uh, a, a view of it, and that you know that the NFT quote unquote bubble um, has is is not about NFTs or or their you know an inherent structural issue with them necessarily. Kind of has to do with the larger economic picture that would that that we're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's brilliant. Very concise. Thank you. And um, you say you have limited knowledge, but, um, you know, I, I have these conversations very regularly and you, you've got a, um, actually a very good understanding in general of, of how these things work. You don't need the nitty gritty so much unless you're actually minting or you are an NFT artist, I believe. But to have um, conversations around how we can move forward and how this is going to be helpful is um, I think you've got the knowledge required for that. And so what I find is that, um, so for example, a lot of people who, who are having these conversations, they're, they're not really, as I said, um, educated around it. They haven't heard of, um, for example, something called the um, XRP ledger. They don't know 
where we could possibly be going with this and how we can use it to our advantage, to humanity's advantage. And this concerns me because um, I think they don't realize what part it already plays in the world. And, you know, things like smart contract, which I want to talk to you about in a minute also. And, um, and also some of the people who are naysayers, and, and I say this in, in, in good faith, because I'm having these conversations a lot in order to work out what it is that they don't like and what it is that they don't know, because this is important, because otherwise you do find quite often people don't like something because they don't know, they don't understand. Whereas I'd, I'd rather have them in two very separate boxes. Okay, what is it that you understand but dislike? And what is it that you fear and don't understand and then therefore pretend you don't like you know and mm. um, quite often it's um i think that it's such a large topic that it's it's easier to to sort of just zone out and and that's a worry as well because if these people are planning on on you know revolution i'd rather they <laughs> they did understand the tools available so for example um in in the music industry no you know in the arts industry overall so we have a lot of performers a lot of artists across the board who are creative people and they are exploited as you mentioned earlier and always have been exploited and continue to be exploited by you know by by agents by the industry they're in and by by several other circumstances and quite often they don't own their work or they have signed contracts that were not um, that they didn't want to sign, maybe they couldn't afford good lawyers and, you know, they just needed something because they're, they're also quite replaceable because there are so many creative people. So having that type of independence and power over our own creativity is something that we've been struggling for, um, I'd say for centuries, but it's definitely something in the last few decades that we've been looking at as a whole, especially the more marginalised communities who... Um, who of course have historically suffered a great deal from their art, from being exploited in many ways, but, but we'll just focus on art right now. So there's that. Then there's also the, um, the, the idea of, let's, okay, if I give an example, there was like, if there was, there was a journalist who was speaking um, for the, the idea that in, in White House press, um, Press, uh, press days you have the a lot of the people who they don't want speaking at the back and they don't get asked by the press secretary to they don't get their questions heard they don't play the game right or whatever and quite often if they try to to forcibly get their voices heard they're told they're told they're heckling they're heckling and then there was one example of that happening with the with the last pre press secretary before the one that's now the white house one i'm talking about um we had a situation where he was stripped of his um, of his mouthpiece because they took a stripe, took away his account. I don't know if you heard about it. So they they he lost access to money because Stripe took away his account, and he couldn't get. And he he ran almost entirely on donations, and he had said no to advertising continuously, and he promised his donors, um, his supporters, that he would never take money from advertisers. And the only way he could get the money was through Stripe and Stripe didn't like what he was doing. So they, they shut down his account with no notice and with no reason. Well, they made up a reason. You can look up the story. I'll probably um, put it out in the tweet that goes out with this so that people can look up the story and verify it for themselves. But do you know what I mean? So it's that type of power that some of the naysayers of 
of such innovation we may not be privy to because they themselves that themselves are privileged in that <laughs> that's a very difficult word to use nowadays but they have bank accounts you mentioned the unbanked earlier i don't know how many of them have even thought about the people that don't have bank accounts so we are talking about access and so i just wanted to to just um give that um a bit of extra information for anyone who didn't catch what you said um, anyway, unless you have something to say on that, if you could move on to smart contracts, we'll just talk a bit about that, please. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think in the interest of time, um, you know, I'll, 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 um, I'm, I'm very happy to let your beautiful words there um, sum, sum up the, the previous topic. I, I'm not sure that I have a great deal more to offer on, on smart contracts. I, I'm, uh, when I say a great deal more, I mean, um, from, from our last uh, discussion, I just believe that, that smart contracts are another really, really interesting way of, of removing the middleman um, from um, a lot of, uh, a lot of transactions and in that way, make them let, you know, create less friction and, and by creating less friction, make them more uh, efficient. And so, you know, the idea that, you know, two people can, can uh, create, can use a standard tool um, and that, that tool not be tied to some sort of servicing fee, um, that's super cool. That's super interesting. Or if, if, it, if there is a servicing fee, uh, because maybe, you know, somebody should be compensated for, for you know, coming up with the tool, that servicing fee is far less than it would have been otherwise, right? So um, the idea of escrow could be a could very well be a thing of the past, you know. Um, you know the idea, uh, you know the idea of delivery, especially in the virtual world, um, could be could, could be revolutionized. Um, smart contracts just just have um, have have some incredible potential, but the problem is is that they're that they're based on they're, they're, they're as good as the people who are designing the contracts, you know, so contracts are a great idea, but if you have a crappy lawyer and you, you, you'd mentioned this earlier, or you don't have a lawyer at all, then, you know, what's, what's, what's the, the value um, of, of that contract, you know, if it's, if it's, uh, if it's terrible and it's unfavorable, the, con the context in which we talked about um, smart contracts was um, with, uh, I think, NFTs uh, in, in the past. And um, when we talked about it, it, in, in the past, it was a way that artists control um, could could benefit from the sa the 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 sales of their work after the initial sale, um, so that they could attach what uh, what they felt was a value. Now, when I say valuable, I don't mean in an economic context. So, a, a valuable piece to a physical piece of art that um, and that valuable piece was. Um, was had an embedded smart contract that that would mean that every time the that that nft was exchanged it would automatically ensure that a, a portion of the funds exchange would go would go to the artist and um, there are ways around that don't get me wrong right but and the artist could do things like sit like for example um maybe someone could just exchange the value of the nft in dollars and then make the NF, the actual NFT transaction nominal. What the artist could do is could could create within embedded within the smart contract some inflation adjusted minimum value for the exchange of the NFT, right? Or um, or or it could say an inflation adjusted minimum value 
for the NFT that's based on some other some other larger market parameter. So that so that you know there's not just a minimum value which which doesn't actually reflect its value in the market, which is unfair to the parties that are exchanging the NFT, but it's actually tied to some other you know characteristics or factors in the market itself. There's ways around it, uh, or it could just involve the the it, it could it could require the involvement of the artist, um, uh, him or herself. So I mean, you know that NFTs could shift that power to 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 some of these people who who typically are are powerless. And uh, I I agree with you. The the vilification and demonization of them um, um, has has something to do with that power transfer. But we, but but we 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 can't deny that you know there have been people who who don't have um, I think a a a a, a um, what's the right word I don't want to say solid but who who maybe could could use a little bit more education on 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 financial matters and then you know they get taken advantage of in these NFT markets right um, or these crypto markets. And so that's the flip side of it. But I mean, education, education is, is, is um, underpins all this stuff. Right. So, you know, if you're, if you're not, if you're not educated, then you're just paying someone in, in a centralized system who is educated to, to do some of these transactions for you. And, um, you know, so I don't know, there's, you know, I, I don't think that the answers are there yet, but I do think that there's a lot of smart people who are, who are figuring them out. Um, for example, um, there, you know, there's, I think, did we talk about strike? I don't know if he's, um, you just talked about strike, but strike is, I think if I, if I'm remembering correctly, but anyway, strike is this, this group that, that, um, that utilizes the bit, the Bitcoin's blockchain network to make, uh, FX transactions. So you don't have to, they use Bitcoin to replicate transactions so that they make all transactions faster. In other words, they're using the security and the network underpinning Bitcoin and not necessarily Bitcoin itself to make financial transactions better, right? Like that, that's an example of like a derivative, an idea that's not the actual crypto idea, but that's derivative of the idea that impacts centralized markets that forces some of the change, right? I think those things are coming. I think those things... Um, are, are, are closer to inevitable, especially with this, um, you know, and, and probably accelerating because of, you know, this reduced um, belief in government um, is among, among the millennial generation and, and just maybe, maybe just generally. So, yeah, I, I think all those things, I, I think all those things are possible, but I, I do, you know, I'm just not, I'm not an anarchist either. And I, I do believe that the order brings with it quite a few, um, quite a few benefits. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear that. And um, just to just to correct you, I didn't say strike, which, um, yes, it is also um, an instant payments network. But like you say, they, they they're doing very different work to Stripe, which is the one I was talking about, which also is a payment processor. Um, yeah, but very yes no i i know <laughs> two Stri very different ones so yeah right yeah exactly stripe i i know I, I recognize the di di difference i mean stripe is basically payments as we know that now right, it's just right. another it's just another um it's a payment system of the of the uh what do you call it the, of, a, of a centralized system um i just wanted to to differentiate it from from strike i just didn't remember if strike was the actual was the actual company or if i'm misremembering it 
Um, but I think it's, it, I, I think it was, it was strike. It is strike. Uh, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, cool. And um, so I, I think that that's, that is true as well until people have actually used these APIs and understand how they work and what they stand for. No one can tell who's good and who's bad, who are the players, the real players to watch out for, who to support. Um, so, you know, I think this is a great conversation for anyone who, who just doesn't understand payment processes and how important money is how important transactions are when we're supporting the people that are of the politics that we agree with. I think that there's a superficial understanding in general of, okay, well, I don't wanna, you know, I don't wanna pay for this, or I don't wanna use my money here or there, but whether people really stand by their politics when push comes to shove is a whole nother story. And not only are we talking about, you know, having the, the actual courage to, to boycott or to make informative choices, but also to actually spend time understanding it, getting to know it and, um, and, and just knowing where we stand and who's getting bullied by these companies also. Um, and I think uh, that brings us very nicely, I hope, into talking about what, what you've been up to recently because you are sort of um, very much a warrior to, uh, you know, when it comes to the, the spiritual ethics and how to apply them into this physical world that we are living in right now so um well as we round up i i think unfortunately if we can talk a bit about that and and into the future what 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 to expect from you and also what are we doing give us some some tips to to help us be as hopeful and better planners and have solutions like you do Oh wow! Well, I, I I don't know. No I don't know what solutions I have. Um, I'm 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 the old man yelling at the cloud um, kind of thing. Um, and I I I I I just to clarify, did you want me to touch on the managing part of the online community, or is this um you, or or are you talking about my um endeavors out outside of that, or just all of it? I think all of it. If you'd like to separate it, you can into two parts. Uh, but I'll tell you what, if I have a question, I will just interrupt you. But otherwise, just just go with the flow. Thank you so much. No, fair enough. So, I mean, look, the, so um, I, I guess, um, you know, I, I Resha was, you know, she she asked me, what's it like to manage an online community? And I mean, uh, so that, I mean that's 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 something I do every Thursday, and I I, I think you know kind of like managing is like an interesting word, uh, and and so so maybe I'll just like please bear with me. I'll try to like address this um, by 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 um, relating a story uh, about this South uh, Korean chef. Her name is uh, Yong Kwan. I don't know if that I'm saying that properly, um, um, but this gal she's a nun in a temple of some sort, and her food is is famous for its simplicity and its uh, execution or something like that. I don't know, I'm not really good at tasting things or the culinary arts or whatever, but um, anyway, people who are good at eating things seem to think that she's, she's doing something incredible. So this nun, she has this garden and when you look at it, you're like, oh, you know, like, where's the garden? You know, like there's like a forest and there's grass and a garden and where one starts and one ends is kind of like really unclear. Um, and so in this documentary, people, I ask her about it. And her answer was something like, you know, it grows where it grows. And I'm fine with that. And then there are like rabbits and like other animals there. And they're just like openly conducting raids 
on her produce. And she's all like, oh, what beautiful bunnies, you know, that kind of thing. And I, I mentioned I mentioned that story to say that if someone was to view me as a manager of the Haiku um, Thursday community, um, I think they'd, they'd be comfortable to place me in Yang Kwan's profoundly insane school of management. And I, I, I didn't I didn't start the hashtag that was at Nick X Bush. Um, but I'm maybe like planting some seeds. Maybe I'm helping some things grow. I'm letting people nibble. And what 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 actually develops and bears fruit? Well, you know, I'm fine with that. Now, if I'm you, um, if I'm you, maybe that's a super disappointing answer. So so even though it is a really honest one, so I'll, I'll give you a slightly different version. So maybe my like my uh, my specific commitment to the hashtag is to write a haiku myself. Um, and and as often as I can, and as time permits, to provide the analysis and background for it, just to in 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 hopes that it may help somebody or inspire somebody. But I, I wouldn't put it as a blueprint or a process. I mean, just whatever works for whoever. Just putting it out there. Um, and then to also you know make sure that every person who writes a poem gets at least one comment on it, because I I really want people to feel like their voice was heard and that their effort and that their creativity did something for someone. And I think it would be misleading or dishonest not to admit that I really enjoy like these ideas and that I'm often surprised and delighted by like the many different perspectives that can illuminate things that I thought I understood, uh, but then show them, you know, kind of like from a different angle. But then that doesn't seem like I'm managing a thing, at least in so far as like my 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 professional exposure to managing something is because I'm not really directing people. I guess I'm not trying to execute like a larger plan or anything. I just I really like haiku and space and making people uh, like uh, feel appreciated. And so if I could describe what I'm doing, um, it's like less about managing and it's more. Uh, hugging words and people, and uh, I'll, I'll have your listeners know that I just gave some air quotes uh, to absolutely nobody. So I think that's that's the haiku Thursday um, part of it. Um, what other things have been taking up my time besides um, besides work is that I've been um, I, I I really got um, involved and engaged in um, effective altruism. So uh, long story short, I've been looking into uh, effective altruism and I ended up getting accepted into one of their, um, their, their, their programs. And effective altruism is like this movement that's focused on maximizing the good you can do. So, um, so what it does is it, it, it takes topics like your career, the projects you can undertake and how you give donations and it it, it it really emphasizes the use of evidence and analysis um, to make decisions about those things um, especially in the in, in, in the context of, of helping others um, this is a, a movement that was founded by um, Cambridge philosopher William McCaskill so um, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry he's an Oxford professor sorry um, but it also uh, attracted Peter singer's um, you know, fanboys and um, some folks in finance, um, a, a former former hedge fund guy named um, Holden Karnofsky. And I forget the name of the other guy. Um, they they were they working at well. So um, that inspired me to start my own nonprofit. Um, and um, I've been working slash charity. I've been working on um, that stuff. 
um, you know, and it's been taking, it's been, it's been um, really taking a bite into my time, but I don't mind. It's, it's been fantastic. And it's been, um, it's been, been eye opening. So, um, you know, Haiku Thursday still going, I'm still committed to that. And, you know, insofar as Twitter and, and, and words and the internet exist, I'm going to continue with that. Um, and uh, now effective altruism and work and family. I mean, that's, that's going to be it. That's, that's the, that's the whole kitten caboodle. I think uh, I think that's a fair bit. Well, thank you. Uh, that was far more concise than I expected, and um, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I wasn't quite ready to end it, but okay. That's thank you. What I want to do then is is just ask you how it's applicable. If you could just talk a bit about that. So for people who maybe don't know so much about the, the philosophy around ethics and um, just a little bit, you know, um, let's say virtue ethics in general, or I, th I think there's a concept that I wanted to ask you about, and I, I'm sort of, I might be putting on the spot a little bit, sorry, with regards to something called consequentialism, because it's yes. something I want to break down with people um, in my, because I'm, I'm having a, um, and on online spaces which is for anyone who doesn't know I know you know but it's basically live streaming on Twitter so um today is is actually sorry I'm just terrible today's Saturday the 13th of August 2022 and um the in two days time on Monday I'm doing a live stream um on managing or navigating online communities although sometimes I feel like it's it's actually surviving online <laughs> communities but um this is something I'm going to do a little segment on so I'd like to perhaps steal a few of your ideas <laughs> around this yeah no no thank you I mean yeah consequentialism is basically the, the 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 philosophical underpinning for a lot of effective altruism and if I could summarize that is that the good of actions has to, is is best ascertained by their by by the by their outcomes by the good that they do, um, and so um, this is the, this is the main focus behind effective effective altruism. So let me just give you an example. Um, if you donate your money to a charity, effective altruism says you should look at how uh, the, you should look at maximizing the amount of good you do, right? Um, through that donation, right? So if you're gonna give to a charity, the kind, it, it has to do with the urgency of the cause, um, the number of people it's impacting and so on and so forth. And that's just impacting, but specifically um, in, in effective altruism, and it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wide open movement. So it can, you can do, you can, you can make an argument against this, but um, you know, specifically, um, how 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 much longer, how much better you make someone's life, and uh, they've developed not just them, but I think before them there was there's a metric called qualities. Um, uh, so it's an adjusted quality of life measurement, and so what they can do is they can take a bunch of different charities and they can say one dollar of your money will result in X many lives saved, or one dollar of your money can result in um, X many um, qualities, you know, for, for, for a given area. And then they're agnostic about where, what that area, all human beings are the same. And so where that area is, like what, what factors influence that quality, they don't, they're not super concerned with that, right? Um, that like, so, so, I mean, that kind of focus on the efficiency 
of your donation is super appealing to me. And it's um, now I, I wouldn't say that my like moral philosophy um, is is super consequentialist because they're like I think that there are some things that like have inherent good or inherent um, benefit to them. That's that, that's a belief. I, I think it's probably a bit outside the scope of, of, of this immediate discussion. But I do think that um, that kind of quantifiable approach to giving is is far better than like what pulls at your heartstrings at a given moment. Because, you know, let's say, um, oh no, let me not do that example. But let's say, you know, like you give money for disaster relief, right? I understand why people give money for disaster relief. But the truth is, is that $1 of your money to disaster relief saves fewer lives than it would on, than on like, for example, um, malaria nets, right? Nets for one malaria net, you know, that I don't, I don't know how it works exactly. I forget the, the, but however much the malaria net costs, the amount of money that you would give to disaster relief is going to save far fewer lives, right? Than you would if you just spent your money on, on, on uh, focusing on malaria, malaria. Now, um, because, because of this, um, you, because of this, you have to be able to prove things oftentimes through randomized controlled trials and because of that bias, it kind of limits the scope of the number of things that effective altruism is currently focused on, which is not to say that it won't expand in the future. Um, but donations are just one part of it anyway. Um, I'm, I think I'm getting a bit too much in the weed, so we pull back. Donations are just one part of it. it it's also like, for example, um, you know, figuring out what you want to do with your career. Uh, for example, a lot of people say, I want to be a doctor so I can help people, right? And um, but like, like if you're a doctor in the United States, right, the number of quality qualities that you effectuate over the course of your career versus being a doctor in, um, you know, let's say, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, right? Those are very different things, right? So, um, you know, effective altruism would apply this kind of same standard of looking at the actual outcomes of what you're doing with your life and applying it to um, your your career. For me, um, it, it made me take a hard look at my career because my career is really just, I mean, I do make sure that the outcomes I do, um, I engage in do not harm people. And I, um, I, I take on investors who agree with that, like who are on board with that, um, which necessarily limits the amount of money I can make and limits the number of rational projects I can undertake and stuff like that. But that's, that's okay. That's, that's fine. I, I made my, made, made, made my bed with that. Um, but when I looked at like the things that I'm good at, and I, I consider just a, an entire career change, when I looked at the things that I'm good at, when I looked at my skill set, when I looked at my network, I realized that. I can just do more good by staying by, by, by maintaining what I'm doing now and just donating more of my money to, to effective causes, if that makes sense. Um, but then I also realized that as a part of my network, there were some inefficient things that I have the skill set, I have the ability to help um, cure, and that there were some underserved um, charities and causes that I have knowledge of and i can i can um deal with directly so when you deal with super rich people and you understand just how much 
the rules don't apply to them. Um, it just, it, it really bums you out sometimes. Um, and I'll tell you, especially like in religious and faith-based communities, sometimes these like super rich people just take this, this religious kind of, you know, stance and, and it's, it's all nonsense and they don't, they don't care. They super don't care. Um, and I won't, I won't, I, you know, I'm just, I can't name names or anything like that. That would be dumb of me. Um, but, but what I can do is I can help funnel those guys into better projects, one. And two, I can take a portion of their funds because that's how I get paid. Um, I get to take a portion of their funds and their earnings and funnel them into better activities. Um, and that helped me feel less powerless. Because the truth is, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I probably will never be a, a billionaire. And even if I was a billionaire, um, I, that wouldn't make a, that wouldn't make a huge difference. It could make a larger difference, but um, it won't make, it, it, it would still be a drop in the bucket um, compared to the kind of people that are out there. So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 that's a long and winding conversation that I think intersects with how I, you know, you start out with consequentialism. Um, hopefully, just to recap, I tied it to how that um, engages with effective altruism. Um, then I talked about how effective altruism itself, um, like, you know, um, you know, like how that, how that um, comes out in uh, effective altruism in terms of our decisions. And then I showed how it uh, applied to me personally. That's the kind of, um, that's the kind of uh, how, how that unfolded. I, I hope that's, um, I hope that's of any benefit um, to anybody out there. And I, not everybody um, is is a fan of effective altruism. People just think that, you know, I, I believe in this cause. I know this person. And I do think that informational asymmetries are, are a thing. But if you look at some of these effective altruism um, charities, they are some of the most transparent, um, you know, granular, informationally granular um, groups out there and they take it they take that stuff so seriously and and a lot of the guys who are running these charities are former hedge fund hedge fund um finance guys who who really uh, know how to apply the these kind of uh statistical modeling kind of tools to these problems and i uh, that's probably my bias but that's why um i'm i'm really um really into it so yeah that's that's my um that's my passion um, alongside um, this wild, um, untamable uh, haiku Thursday garden, um, and uh, yeah, that's 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 kind of what I've been up to. And also, uh, you know, just uh, being—I uh, hope the fan is on—a longtime admirer of the glorious Reshma Iafe um, and 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 all the beautiful things um, she's she's putting out there. Yeah, I think I I think that's a that's a fair summary. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, that was that was beautifully clear, very focused points there. And I think for anybody who who struggles with with purpose, I think, which is a lot of people, especially the last couple of years and now trying to get our lives back in order and working out what on earth we're supposed to be doing with this time we have on earth. I think that um, that those paragraphs there are super helpful, really, really helpful, because the effect we have um, on the causes that are dear to us and the impact we can have on those who most need it um, are measurable. That's the thing. And like, and you know, if, if we have philosophies and social movements that can help 
um, with education around this, that's important. And, and for me, that ties back to what you said earlier about how to determine facts. And this is also important because it, the language that we use is part of what is causing this mass depression and feeling of powerlessness. And that's one of the first things I feel quite strongly about that we have to eradicate that feeling of powerlessness before we can do anything else. Um, and then we need ways of finding clarity in thought, clarity in communication, and um, clarity in, in output, maximum output and impact. And, impact. Um, and just to finish off, I would like to also say that with regards to how to measure um, all of those things, but especially communication, because that's one of the most important things I feel when it comes to, to online activity, which so, okay, if we've, we've talked about your offline activity just now and got a very good understanding of that, and just to give a, a final assessment from my perspective of your, of your online activity, um, I, I do see you as a, as, a, as a creative warrior. Haiku is a tool Yes, it's, um, it's, it's a way of expressing ourselves, but it's more important to look at the community, the values, the way that you go about managing that, um, that process. And you do take it upon yourself to manage, even though um, it's, not, it's not an easy community to manage, but you are actually managing it in a very consistent way. And that consistency is what allows us to have that clarity because we know we can rely on you to give feedback every Thursday. And um, if you don't, we're, we're, we're worried, as you probably know. There was one time I think you had family commitments. <laughs> I DM'd you in a panic, you know. <laughs> well, are you, are you okay, you know, and, yeah. and I think that that's great. That's wonderful that, um, that we're also looking at how much we rely on each other to, to check on each other at our safety um, as well as, as all the other things. And, and so with, when it comes to, to communication, a lot of people assume communication is taking place just because they're exchanging information. And quite often it is misinformation. Quite often it is of negative value. Um, it's because, you know, it's peddling lies or fear or um, arguments that are, are not rooted in evidence or you know, the throwing away of facts and the nullifying of important information. And I just think that, um, that that is not, that should never be understood by anyone listening as communication taking place, because that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about working on, on the impact we actually have. And if it's measurable at one end, that means you can actually work out how to get that clarity at the, the beginning of that process, which is in your thought. And that's my sort of my 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 end speech unless you've got anything to add I suppose we ought to close no that's uh that's a that's a beautiful uh that's a beautiful way of uh encapsulating a lot of these topics uh because what 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 really matters is is uh kind of how we engage with one another and how we um kind of how we make one another feel and uh you know the ideas are important the outcomes are important but um, just having that that baseline of uh kind of civility and um and, and maintaining as we spoke about in our last podcast you know that the idea that morality and part of how we engage with other uh others uh 
you know, may, that morality is a part of morality, that morality is like a branch of aesthetics. And um, writing haiku and, um, and, and writing poetry, that's, that's about aesthetics also. But how we deal with one another, that can be a beautiful thing um, also. And the whole thing together can be a, a gorgeous tapestry uh, of, of, of ethics, um, arts, sciences, all these things, we can come together and, and build something beautiful um, that um, sometimes you can't see, but you can definitely feel, um, making it no, no, less, uh, no less real. Oh, wow, that's wonderful. Bless you, thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. It's really what I needed. It's so healing. It's so inspiring. Thank you for your time and energy as always, and especially today and moving forward. I have lots to put into action and um, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to also applying some of what I've learned today into the, the, the live stream, as I said, that I'm gonna do in two days time. And I hope you'll, you'll join me for that also. Um, so yeah, thank you again, bless you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. And uh, maybe I'll see you in London in, uh, over the next couple of weeks. We'll see. Ah, yes. Yes, of course. Wonderful. I hope it's not quite so hot by then. Really hoping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, I, I, you know, you might you might see me in uh, less formal attire than I'm than I'm used to walking around <laughs> in. But still, uh, I, I won't go shirtless or anything. It'll it'll be a comfortable, civil engagement. I, I promise. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Okay. okay. Uh, wish I wish you peace and love. Bye. Bye bye. You have been listening to the Violet Rays with your.